Hello, you're listening to the HRD Live podcast with me, Michael Hocking, editor of HRD Connect. Now, when we speak of communication within our organisations, do we simply speak in terms of a top-down dissemination of information, or do we consider the importance of feedback for leadership and in developing an organisational culture? On this episode of the HRD Live podcast, I'm joined by Didier Elzinger, CEO of CultureAmp, to discuss the role of constant feedback between employees and leadership within an organisation and how it drives success. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> so first things first, the first thing I had to ask is you used to work in Hollywood. Right? I did, yes. So how did it come from Hollywood to being interested in culture and feedback in the workplace? So I was in film for 13 years, uh, worked on Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Batman, <laughs> Superman. And I think one of the things I realized as I sort of went through it is I loved the storytelling. I loved the making films. But a lot of where my energy was put was into how do we engage people? Like, how do we use people mm. to tell all these stories? And I used to joke that as a CEO, you're a glorified psychiatrist. You know, so <laughs> really? much of what you do is, is, is people and culture. Well, so wh why is that? Why is that exactly? Uh, I mean, I think it's what we're seeing now is it's the extension of a long journey in terms of what makes a difference in a business. So the way we think about it is if you want to be financially successful, you mm. need to be customer centric. Right. But if you want to be customer centric, you actually have to put people first. And so, mm. uh, you know, back in 1938, Henry Ford said, why is it when all I want is a pair of hands, I get a brain attached? <laughs> uh, and the world of work has changed now. So, you know, <laughs> the work we need people to do, we need their brains more than we need their hands. And exactly. in that environment, people and culture matters more than anything. Wonderful. So what do you mean by feedback exactly? And why is that so important in the workplace? So... I mean, I'll answer it in two, two ways. One, in terms of why feedback's important. And secondly, why did I start a company on, on feedback? You know, I think the reason that it's important is it's about learning. And so much of what we're thinking about when we think about the future of work and people trying to adapt how their organizations um, can operate is about how do we deal with the complexity of the world? Like, how do we deal with all the changes in the landscapes? Mm -hmm. And one of the key things that people are seeing is that you need a learning loop. So the trick in feedback is what do you learn from it? How can you actually go through a loop where you have an idea, go test whether that idea works, then take that learning and try again. So feedback is at the heart of all learning. And if you think about most organizations these days, they're trying to build organizations that can learn where the customer's going, what's happening. So feedback's that sort of core thing. It's the core driver of change. And the reason I ended up building that company after working in Hollywood was you know, Hollywood's amazing. Uh, it's also a tough business. I'm sure. You know, it's a service business. You know, as we sort of see in the press, there's lots of interesting things that have gone on. And the more I did it, the more I realized that more than the films, it was the people that drove me. It was the, how do you get a group of people to come together and do amazing things? You know, what does it mean to make that possible? So the way we think about it at CultureAmp is that for an organization to thrive, people have to thrive. And for people to thrive we have to create a different world of work. And feedback is at the heart of that different world of work. So you talk about this a constant loop of feedback. So can you give me an example of how that manifests itself? Mm. So once again, a lot of what we're doing on the people and culture side has come from what we've learned on marketing. So mm. if you think about uh, the way pretty much any company these days interacts with its customers, there's a constant flow of learning. You know, you don't stop once a year, ask 10 customers what they think, mm -hmm. and then plan for the rest of the year. You're getting feedback all the time. You know, if you're an online app, you're getting feedback like every second. 
And so it's the same idea. How can we learn from every interaction that people are having? Traditionally, employee feedback's not new. We've been doing this for decades. But it was this thing that, you know, once a year or once every two years, we'd stop and like do a big long survey and then understand what that told us, make some changes. And then, you know, two years later, we'd do it again. Mm -hmm. And coming from that marketing side, everything's changing too fast for that. You know, you can't, uh, by the time you've got the report, everything you just learned is already out of, (laughs) out of date. So how, how do you, how good do you think leaders are at listening to feedback generally within organizations? Because I, I understand it, it varies, but generally speaking, how do you think leaders are dealing with that? It does vary. It varies <laughs> a lot. Um, and I think you mentioned in the intro about communication not just being top-down. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things about feedback is it is bi-directional. So, you know, we help customers, uh, you know, run surveys and connect the dots at every different point of the employee's experience. And you do that not just by asking a psychologist what makes people happy. Mm. You do it, what the best companies do is they intentionally describe the experience they want their people to have, and then they listen where it's working, where it's not. Right. And so what we're seeing is that good companies understand that feedback is a two-way street. Part of it is sitting down saying, here's what I want you to feel. Here's how I need you to be for us to be successful. And then listening closely to what they're learning from their employees so that often it's working here and it's not working there. Why is that? What can we do to improve that? How can we you know, use that to make a better outcome? I see. So one thing you mentioned is being a, a culture first company. What exactly does that mean? So culture first at one level is very simple. Okay. It just means you put culture first. But it, <laughs> and that was the end of the question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it comes from this idea that it's the biggest level you have. It comes from this idea that if you want to make brand one of the ways we think about it is that brand is a promise to a customer. Yeah. Culture is how you deliver that promise. So putting culture first means investing the time and energy in your people and your culture so that you can create this experience for your customers. And then creating value for customers is ultimately what makes your organization successful. That's interesting. I hadn't actually thought of it before that connection between like brand as a promise and then culture is kind of the embodiment of that. How common is it that organizations make that connection very well and what do you think makes that work so well it's a little spotty so (laughs) you know one thing that drives me nuts is when you see companies go off and design a brand over here and then Mm. have a totally different group of people designing the culture and they're they're not talking to each other have their backs to each other but what we see is we work with we started life working with a lot of tech companies but now we work with every industry Mm -hmm. and we do spend a lot of time in retail and What's so fascinating about retail businesses is that they know that the experience that their customer is going to have is in the hands of a 17-year-old who's been (laughs) here for three months and will be gone in nine. And so how do we create an an environment where that person can deliver that experience? So there are some some companies that are really sophisticated and very successful at it, uh, and then there are other ones that are learning. So what does it mean for Culturum? Within Culturum, how do you engender that? process where you have that connection and where people do feel I mean you're right that to make somebody feel as if they're part of a culture I mean actually I think of uh, somewhere I mean you mentioned retail but also um, in the gig economy where people are moving in and out I was looking at uh, you know Uber the other mm. day I think how do you make a, an employee feel like they're part of a culture when people are passing through so mm. quickly but how, how would you uh, approach that well, it goes back to this idea of being clear and being intentional about what the experience is that you want them to have and sitting down and saying, okay, how do we need people to feel? 
for this culture to be successful because there's not there's no such thing as a perfect culture you know that's a cult <laughs> like it's not like everybody aspires to be the same thing depending on what type of company you are depending on what values you have depending on what your strategy is then you need a different type of culture and so what we see our best customers do is they they understand that and then they use tools like culture amp to first of all communicate to people by the questions they're asking what the expectation should be and then they can use that data in real time to sit down and go oh you know sales is fantastic and everyone's really motivated and engaged but we've got issues in manufacturing or marketing why is that what is it what's the difference in those experiences and how can we improve that it's interesting as well I, I, i'm thinking back now to, to your experience in hollywood as well and it is that emotional connection isn't it? i suppose with storytelling mm. it's the fact that i think people forget how much of a role that emotion and that connection plays in in really establishing a successful organization or people within an organization i think there's a lot of obviously focus on success and driving success but without that emotional connection without that feeling like you say of, of, of being engaged in that culture it's gonna it's only gonna last so long you know I mean, we've all been in those experiences where we've been in a job where we just feel completely disconnected from it you know mm. and even if you're great you've got amazing talent without that engagement in the culture it's just gonna it's gonna fall apart right yeah and i think it's if you take the long view so like in building culture amp and for many of our customers i want to make a big difference in the world so you know the way we we think about our mission, where we are now. When I started the company, I had the world's most naive business plan. It was like 10,000 by 10,000 equals 100 million. So you know, 10,000 companies spending $10,000 a year will have $100 million in revenue. And we're well on our way and we'll probably hit that number soon. Mm-hmm. But you don't actually measure your impact in dollars. Right. You measure your impact in people. And so we had a thing earlier this year where we brought everyone together and we were talking about where are we going? You know, what's our vision and mission and how does this all come together? And the way we articulate it is how, what would it be like if we could amplify what a hundred million people are capable of being at work? Mm. And that's important because going back to some of the stuff I was talking about earlier, what businesses need today is different than what it used to be. You know, if you think about two, three hundred years ago in pursuit of a dollar, you didn't have to worry about anybody. You could, <laughs> exactly. you know, destroy the environment. You could, you know, treat people terribly and, and yeah. all those things. And well, I, it was t- so much easier. I yeah. <laughs> Whereas now, you know, you, you can't, you know, you have to pay attention to your environmental impact yeah. and you, you have to be aware of the society that you exist within. And you have to create something that is not only making money, but is also having a positive impact on the world. And in that environment, culture matters more and more and more. And right. it's not generational effects. So it's not that suddenly the millennials and the Gen Ys and Gen Xs want something different. Um, A lot of that is actually a little bit of a furphy. Um, That's a A cohort of furphy. That's an Australianism. (laughs) (laughs) What what does it mean? It's it's overblown in the in the sense. Really, that's interesting. Statistically, it's it's a cohort effect. So what happens is, you know, we get told millennials want different things. Uh The truth of the matter is, sixteen year old today has very similar set of expectations to a 16-year-old mm. 60 years ago. There's a slight increase in narcissism, but other than that, it's pretty stable. <laughs> a lot more selfies, maybe. Yeah. But, you know. but what the work needs is different. And it doesn't matter whether you're 15 or 50, the work requires more from you. It requires more cognitive load, more brain, less hand. Right. And so that's the thing that you were just talking about, is that the culture matters so much in that world. And you know, I have a, a slide that I sometimes use, which is, tangible versus intangible asset backing for the S&P 500. And Mm. so it's over the last 60, 70 years. And 70 years ago, it was 80% tangible assets. 
So if you had a, a S&P 500 business, 80% of the value was in bricks and mortar. It was in equipment, in inventory, mm-hmm. in physical things you could see and touch. Now it's the reverse. It's right. 75, 76% intangible. So all the value in your business doesn't exist in the world. It exists in your people's heads. And so right. people and culture is the way you access that and the way you amplify it. It's fascinating. How, how do you think the culture in the workplace is going to change in the future, in the years going ahead now? Then, like you say, things are different now, maybe slightly more narcissism <laughs> in some regards, to which I, w- I would agree. But how do you think that culture is going to change and how are organizations going to manage culture going forward in the future? I think there's there's a lot of different forces at play. Uh-huh. Uh, there's definitely, you know, Dan Pink wrote that book, Drive, a few years ago, and mm-hmm. He, he pulled together a whole bunch of research and sort of talked about in this world where you're seeking people's minds and not their hands, purpose, autonomy, and mastery are fundamental for people being able to deliver at, the high, at a high level. Right. So successful organizations are ones that can tap into that. Mm. You know, people are looking for a different set of things from their organization. At the same time, we've got, as you said earlier, the gig economy. Mm -hmm. which means that you've got a transactional relationship between large groups of people, uh, which is very different. Like, you know, is a, is an Uber driver an employee or not? I mean, legal, put the legal stuff aside, Uh just that question of how do you want to interact with that person? So I think we're going to see both more of the gig economy, but at the same time, the problems that organizations are trying to solve are more and more complex Mm -hmm. and they rely on people working together for longer and longer periods of time to make a difference. And so I think we are going to see organizations that, maybe focus more on people and culture than they have in the past. Because if you, if you think about, you know, from a people and culture point of view, you're focused on how do we attract great talent? Mm-hmm. How do we retain great talent? And that's often the area where it's the easiest to understand the business impact. Cause if you can keep those people longer, that flows straight to the bottom line. Right. But the really interesting one is how do we grow that talent? So not just hire better people, not just keep them longer. But which are the companies that are able to take those people that they have and help them grow while they're with the organization? And how, because it's, it's, it's interesting, this, this element of, of growing people, how should an organization approach that? How should leadership approach that? Because you, it might be counterintuitive to some extent when they think, okay, this person wants to go in a direction which maybe isn't with me. And I mm. think you're great talent. I want to keep you here. You mm. know, I don't want you to go off to this other organization. So how should a leader ab- approach that? Or an organization, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a fascinating area. And if you look at it, the data, learning and development is often one of the top drivers of engagement. So mm-hmm. if engagement is measuring people's uh, willingness to stay, their pride in the company, their willingness to go above and beyond, mm-hmm. in, in some ways I call it the five o'clock test. So right. the phone rings, it's 5 p.m., someone's walking out the door. Do they answer it or do they not answer it? Right. And it will depend on how they feel about the company. That's you know, actually very good, yeah. Yeah, and a highly engaged <laughs> place goes, yeah, I'll answer it because I feel invested in this place right. and I, I want to help the customer or whatever it is. And so engagement's the outcome. That's what you're trying to achieve. And what our data shows is that one of the strongest drivers of engagement is learning and development. You right. know, do I believe this is a place where I'm going to grow? And paradoxically, one of the best things you can do is actually help people move if that's what they want. So something that I I sometimes do when we hire somebody is I'll sit down with them and say, um, you know, thank you for joining CultureAmp. You know, we're so glad, so lucky to have you here. How can I use my personal network as a CEO to help you get your next job? Right. And they look at you and they're like, (laughs) 
what do you mean? Aren't aren't we meant to pretend that (laughs) that we're going to be together forever? It's like, well, no, you know, if I know where you're trying to go and I can help you develop the skills that you need to get there, you'll stay longer. That's the thing. That's the interesting, because when you have a leader who you feel generally like they care about where you're going as opposed to just what's best for the company, you do actually want to stay. I mean, I can think of countless times where I've had a, a boss in some scenario who's who's clearly just trying to help me to be what I want to be or grow to that mm. point, even if it means leaving. But I want to stay because I have that relationship with my boss who's trying to help me to develop, you know. And it makes a massive difference, I think. I mean, we've all had those those jobs where, you know, you like you say, the five o'clock test, you, you're picking up the buck and then you, you're getting out of there, you know. So I'm not staying here. You know, mm. I've got stuff to do. And it, it's more yeah. than, you know, it's learning development. It's also things like what our data shows is it's belonging. Right. And, you know, do I feel like this is a place I can belong to? And I right. think, you know, we just launched a, a whole bunch of stuff around the concept of well-being and how to help people measure that, how to help people improve it. And what's so fascinating is that I think we're seeing organizations grappling with what's our role in the well-being of our people, um, right. particularly mental well-being, which for a long yeah. time has been stigmatized, but can't be if we're going to get where we need to go. Exactly. And with mental well-being, I, I think, there's there's a problem I think some organisations face because like you say it's not somebody's broken a leg it's mm. because it's it's almost you have to intuit how to treat it and it's not a simple cut and paste solution either it might be very uh, it might be very time consuming as well and it might involve a lot of work but obviously if you're thinking about the bottom line mental health it seems like there's this problem with organisations being able to find a way to properly address that you know well the WHO now has mental illness as the third largest. Uh, expense globally from really? a health point of view. So you have um, cancer and cardiac and then mental health. Uh-huh. But so there's a huge problem there that we need to help people with, particularly because a, a lot of the way people are working and the environment that they are in is at least contributing to, to the way they feel. But the other big thing is, you know, a, a large part of the movement in psychology was towards positive psychology. And right. so it was the shift away from the deficit model of let's study people that have a disorder and into mm. how do we help people grow. And um, Seligman, Martin Seligman, who's sort of the father of positive psychology, says it, it shouldn't just be enough to survive. We have to thrive. Like how do we right. help people thrive and flourish? And so this concept of mental well-being is not just a deficit model of how do you help a person that's suffering from depression or anxiety or something like that. It's also how do we create environments that give people resilience, that give them a sense of belonging, that help them, you know, grow not just in terms of their skills, but also in terms of what they are as people. And it's actually fascinating to see how quickly that has gone from being something that nobody talked about, nobody wanted to be involved in, to something that people are now, boards, leadership teams, Mm -hmm. are really working on because they know that whether somebody can sleep at night will affect their performance. Right. And whether or not they can sleep as often comes down to stress and anxiety. And, you know, there's things we can do in the business, in the world of work to change that. So how, how would Culture Amp, if you were, if you were to, to be working with a company who was struggling with, with that, with developing that attitude to well-being, how would you help them to, to, uh, to change that and to move forward? Mm. So well-being is sort of one of the things that we can help people deep dive mm. on. And, and we just actually launched a whole bunch of content, yeah. an e-book and all this sort of stuff that if you go to the website, you can, you can download but what it's really doing is helping you, first of all, go, what is the well-being of our staff? You know, how right. are people feeling? And how do you measure that exactly? Yeah, so it's similar to measuring engagement. So you're using items that have been designed 
So all of our work inside Coltramp, we have um, dozens of people in PhDs in IO psychology mm. and that again in masters. And they're drawing upon the research and then they're basically make that available. So one of the one of the ways we think about what we do is we're not trying to invent a whole new way of doing stuff. There's 20, 30 years worth of amazing research on how to make people successful at work. Mm. But the problem is most of it's not happening. And so our <laughs> job is to make that accessible. Like how do we get that into the hands of more companies and, and then more people inside? And the way we do that is we we basically go read all the research for you. We pull that together. We create the items or the questions. We put them into the platform. And then the platform allows you to sit down and say, I know nothing about well-being. I just want to run a well-being survey. Okay, there it is. You can just press go and it will go out and give you a really good insight. Potentially, you do know something about it and you want to go in and mm. edit it. We'll work with you to customize it for your company and make it fit your environment. And then it comes back and it tells you what are the experiences of your people and it helps you identify the hotspots. So where is it working well? Where is it not working? And we sort of think about three key pillars. So mm -hmm. how do we help you collect the data? So asking the right questions, using software and technology to make it really easy to ask those questions and, and collect it. How do we help you understand that data? So we have very sophisticated um, statistical learning tool that basically says, okay, if this is all the data, here's where you need to focus. Here's right. where you're going to have your greatest return on action. Here's what will happen if you do nothing. So we can sort of predict the future, if you will. Yeah. Um, and then the most important thing is once you've collected the data and once you've understood the data, we'll help you act on that data. So when it right. comes to well-being, now that you've identified that, for example, um, managing workloads is the biggest issue that people have, what are things that other people have done just like you to solve that problem? And right. so we, we call it collective intelligence. It's essentially all of the learning from all of the customers that we work with. We work with about 2,000 companies worldwide. And what have other people done to move the needle on the thing that you've decided you need to focus on? So you've recently acquired Zugarth. Tell me a bit more about that. Mm, we're really excited about this. So when we started life, it was very much as an employee engagement platform. So we were helping organizations understand, you know, collect, understand, and act on employee engagement. Mm -hmm. As we've grown and developed with our customers, that's become a full-blown uh, employee experience. Uh, everywhere in the, in, the, in the life cycle, we pull that data. But it's still, if you will, organizational level. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're pulling data from across the organization and helping you work out how to improve that experience. If at the end of the day, the thing that this uh, sort of is based on is change, like how can you help people change? How can you help managers improve? Mm -hmm. How can you help individual contributors improve, exec team, board, everybody? And so for quite a while, we've been looking at the other side of the coin, which is individual feedback. So if, if our traditional platform or our original platform was around helping organizations understand, collect, understand, and act on employee feedback, what would it mean to give individuals those tools? And right. so you start thinking about 360s, you start thinking about performance reviews and performance management. And we'd already developed some work in, internally. We already had a product that was essentially a strengths-based 360 product. And we started talking to Zagata and SK, who's the, the founder and CEO. And it was just a, a perfect match because, first of all, we were both trying to make the same change in the world. Mm -hmm. We both had the same vision for what this could be. And funnily enough, when I started Coltramp, the first product I built was actually a, I sort of said, why, why does everybody hate their annual performance review. It's, you know, backwards looking, it's, it's terrible. What we need is a forwards looking continuous coaching conversation. And so I actually spent the first six to 12 months building that. And at the time, this was about eight years ago, I think we were just a little early. It wasn't quite the right thing at the time. And so we kind of shelved it. 
Zugata went and built it. And so, you know, meeting SK, you know, they had already gone and, and gone much further than we had. And so bringing them on board, what that allows us to do is connect organizational and individual feedback. So engagement and performance, if you will, so that we can cross, connect the dots across both. So take the people that are, you know, growing the furthest and the fastest. How are they feeling? How does engagement drive performance? It allows us to actually get in and not only give people the tools to solve both problems, mm -hmm. but actually give people the ability to connect the dots across those two as well to start making better decisions. So w when you're carrying out this kind of feedback, what do you think is the most effective um, aspect of or method of self-development for an individual? Like how, what's the best way that, I know it's, it's quite a, quite a, big, a big question, question yeah, but if you, if, or what do you think anyway is like a real secret to that kind of self-development, looking at the kind of research that you've, you've done so far? Uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff that goes on. I think the first thing is that we've really come to understand in the last 10, 15 years, the importance and the power in psychological safety. And so right. if you think about the sort of traditional model of performance management, or performance reviews, it's very much, we're going to run a system to provide, inverted commas, objective perspective of your performance. Mm -hmm. So it's a backwards looking thing. How good were you or how not good were you? Really, that's not the point. The point is to improve performance, not just measure it. So we should only be measuring it to the extent that it helps us improve performance. And one of the problems is that when you go in with rating scales and all these other things, it actually makes it really hard for people to learn from that feedback. And so you kind of have two ends of the spectrum. One end of the spectrum is backwards looking sort of evaluative model. At the other end of the spectrum is a forwards looking sort of coaching conversation. How, what feedback do I need to give you to make you better into the future? It's very hard to do both of them at the same time. Mm. And so what we're seeing that companies are doing is they're kind of splitting those into two different things. Companies still need to set salaries. They still need to decide, you know, who are their superstar performers, right. who are the people that, uh, you know, are not. But if you think about that, most of the time in any organization, two thirds, 80% of people are roughly where they should be. They're doing fine. Like they're doing what they're expected to do. There's a few people who are leaping ahead and there's mm. a few people that are struggling. The, the problem with traditional performance management is that there's only really value for people at either end of the spectrum, but it hurts everybody. Right. But if you think about a tool like a, a Strengths-Based 360 or a continuous coaching conversation where you have a tool that you're collecting feedback on an ongoing basis, talking to your manager about, you know, how can I use this feedback to get better? That's valuable to everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're a high performer in the middle or, or somebody who's, who's struggling, mm -hmm. that feedback is useful. So what we're able to do with Zagata is we can give people the tools to do all the different things, separate them out so that, you know, if you are doing an evaluation, it's clear that's what you're doing but you can also do development cycle alongside that. Excellent. So let's talk about predictive analytics then, moving from insight to foresight. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? So I think what a tool like Coltramp does is it gives people data where maybe they didn't have data before. And what we're seeing across the industry is people are using that data to try and say, okay, well, what's going to happen? You know, if you can give me some insight into what's coming, then I can make better decisions. And what we, we've just launched uh, our own version of this. And we talk a lot about, you said it perfectly there, which is rather than focusing on insight, which is what happened, foresight is like what is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually not a huge fan of the word prediction. Oh, really? Because, well, pretty much all the prediction techniques that we use are statistical. 
and they're very good at telling us what will happen across the whole group, mm -hmm. but they don't always tell us what's going to happen to the individual. So right. for example, my father has prostate cancer. He's had it for a decade. He's a PhD in psychology, so he knows how to read research. And he said to me at one point, I can tell you with a great deal of certainty what will happen to 10,000 men like me, but I can't tell you anything about what my experience will be. And so when you think about the fact that we're building software to help people focus on people and culture, it's actually really important that we don't just go, ah, this person's going to leave. We actually right. don't know if that person's going to leave. What we know is that 20 people like that are more likely to leave than someone else. Mm -hmm. And so we've spent a lot of time both building the, the tools and the algorithms to give people that foresight, but also finding ways to present it back to them in a thoughtful way so that it actually gets people not to jump to conclusions that they shouldn't be jumping to, but still allows them to see what might be happening. So what's this, uh, this thoughtful method of presentation? How does that operate? So it's, it's, it, the, the challenge is in essentially not, a, not trying to provide certainty where you don't have it. So what we do right. and what we're able to do now is we can show you across your organization which are the groups that are more likely to leave than others. And we can quantify that. So we can tell you that uh, women in engineering are 10 times as likely to leave as the average demographic inside your company. And that's useful because yeah. now you can sit down and go, well, actually, that's a real problem. We want to fix that and we're going to put effort and energy into it. And that's where we see this being the most powerful is not that it suddenly does everything for you, but instead it actually helps mount the case for change. Mm -hmm. it, it allows, you know, one of our customers, like a chief people officer or, or a you know, people leader to go, we have a choice. We can do nothing and then these people will leave or we can do something and we can keep them. And being able to give people that data in a more quantified way really helps at the exec level get people to buy in to say, okay, no, we don't want that. We actually want to do something here. So yes, you can have budget or yes, you can do this project. Mm -hmm. And it's meaningful. Like one of our customers... Um, that we work with AutoTrader, right. um, you know, they using Coltramp, they've been using us for a couple of years. They were able to improve their retention by 9% and they quantified that that was worth about half a million pounds a year. It was almost 500,000 pounds. Thereabouts, not much, you know, yeah. just, just a small amount. Very good. Well, I have one mm. other question actually, which, and it seems like a very simple, the name Coltramp. Is, so what's the, what is the meaning exactly of that? So it's amplification of culture, is that right? What does that mean? Because I was interested when I, when I first read about doing this interview, what exactly that concept means to you? Yeah, so the name came from trying to get a domain name. So, you know, <laughs> you have to start with more than one word and clump them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't want to do the then thing of taking a word and taking all the vowels out, which is oh, what everybody was doing. That was the worst. <laughs> um, but you're, you're totally right. So it came from culture and amplification. And for me, it's really about this idea of, what does it mean and, and what would be possible if we could amplify what people are capable of being? And mm -hmm. I think, you know, what's running through so much of modern IO psych and so much of making people successful is that there is so much more that people can bring to work and we need them to. And mm -hmm. so for me, that amplification is critical to kind of why we started the company, and what the company's about. Wonderful. Well, that's it for the HRD Live podcast this week. Thank you to Didier Alzinga, CEO of CultureAmp, for talking to us. Thanks for listening. And remember to like, subscribe, and stay tuned for more episodes very soon.